just kind of stay in a place of worship before the Lord. We don't, we don't come to his word having like kind of somehow transitioned from where we just were. <laughs> this, is, this should be a smooth engagement from worship now to the word. Um, if any kids five to ten need to be dismissed for upstairs, this is your opportunity to head, head on up. And uh, teachers should be up there for you guys. And we just want to, just before jumping in, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Just before reading the text, I just want to pray for the kids upstairs, that their hearts would receive the word today. So Lord, we thank you for your power and your authority with us even this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you. This ain't like going to even an Eagles game. This ain't like going to a Flyers game. This ain't just like coming to a place where, you know, there's a lot of excitement. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you're not the underdog. You're not like some random hope that we hope you will win. Thank you, Lord, that you proved it in your resurrection. And we come together to celebrate the victory that has already been attained in your blood. And we thank you, Lord. So even this morning as the kids go upstairs, Lord, let it be a, even a prophetic journey of heading upstairs to sit underneath your word, that your word might have power upon their souls, open up their souls to hear, give them ears to hear that it wouldn't just be another Sunday. We don't want just another Sunday, Lord. We don't want just the... The, the Easter pizzazz this morning, Lord, we want substance. We want you this morning. We need you. And so, Lord, bless those kids as they sit underneath your word. Bless the teachers. Give them patience. <laughs> all those kiddos with all that energy. And bless them, Lord. Bless them. Lord, raise up those kids like a little army with all the, with all the energy that they have to do some, some good stuff against the... the, the the darkness, Lord. Let it, let it be. Let it be that they shine mightily for you. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you have your Bible before you. We're going to just kind of go line by line through this particular section. Um, but I want to first just say, um, I come to you after about a week and a half of just having some rich time with the Lord in private. The sweet times with him. You, you, you count those times as blessing just to have a season where it's like you wake up in the morning and you hear the voice of the Lord just saying, come on, come on, child, I want to speak with you. I want to I know you, right? I want time with you. And so the last week and a half has been just, just wonderful for my soul. And yet at the same time, you can't have the pleasure of his presence without pain, without vexation. I've come in on, on certain days and I'd say to the guys, I just feel vexed in my soul. I feel vexed in my soul because on one hand, I know how fickle my own heart can be. 
And I know one little thing can just like, you know, the dog and the squirrel, you know, huh, squirrel. Uh, and, and it's often running after things that have no substance whatsoever. When, when the one who is the bread of life is saying, come on, Dan, let's sit down. I want to nourish your soul. And I can so quickly be taken by something that is absolutely empty, just dust in the wind. But there my attention goes. There my affection goes. I can so easily wander from the one of life. Right? It's vexing because I know how fickle I can be. And then... And then you can't live through this world and not look at this world as being absolutely lost. Your citizen app going off again and again, shootings again and again and again, fighting people, you know, swinging bats at one another again and again and again. A broken world that we live in. I pulled up uh, one morning and uh, there's some dear young girls who, who have in the past come out to youth group, and there they are. Um, it's a warm day. And you would think that they were dressed for some place that no Christian should darken the door of. And, and you have to look at these young women who are, who are just being taken by the world who are just being taken by the values of the world. They're, 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 they're showing themselves off in a way that is only going to objectify them more and more. It's only going to bring hurt and pain to them more and more. And then yeah, in those moments where I'm just sitting in my car, almost to the point of tears, overseeing what I'm seeing, just being vexed more and more in soul, like, Jesus, you're the answer to this, but here we are. Here we are in this broken world where we only just kind of permeate the brokenness more and more and more by what we wear, how we live our lives. And then the father of these two kids comes driving up, and the windows are down, and it's blaring, and there's more expletives coming out of that radio than... I mean, it would, it would make the old-timer sailors blush at what's being said. And it's not to be mad at what's happening. It's just to, it's to be vexed in soul. There's an answer to all this. You live your life in rage. You live your life just wanting to be recognized and noticed. You live your life given to lust. He who sins is a slave to sin. We're all in bondage. A life of bondage. And as you have these sweet times with the Lord, it's just like, Lord, come on, go, go satisfy souls. Go break this bondage. So as we gather together on a day like this, celebrating the resurrection, oh, did Jesus break the bondage. He overcame death itself, satisfying even sin itself in the cross. He came to undo all the terror of this world. The stuff that you feel on the inside, that inner rage, that lust that you just can't seem, I can't seem to not look, I can't seem to not engage. He died for that to set you free. There is the bread of life, Jesus himself, who wants to satisfy your soul. And the only thing that it requires is that you would humble yourself before him and say, yes, I'm in need of a Savior. You don't have to bear any cost. No religious hoops to jump through. You don't even have to show up to church. You don't even have to show up to Easter Sunday. 
feel good about yourself. You don't have to come here. You don't have to do things. You don't have to prove yourself. It's free. It's free. He paid it all. So you just get to humble yourself and say, oh, Jesus, come. Satisfy this wretched soul. And he will. He'll have you. And guess what? You'll mess up again. (laughs) And as the good shepherd that he is, he just says, child, come here. Come here. There's forgiveness in my name. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. Keep humbling yourself before me. Keep knowing the pleasure of my presence. So I come to you this morning just in this place of pleasure and pain. (laughs) As as the old Puritan pastor Richard Baxter said, he said, I'm a dying man preaching to dying men. I feel that this morning. To the point where this past week, as I prepared, I was like, this is is not something that you can just write a manuscript for. You don't just piece this together as a pastor and then show up on Easter Sunday and be like, let me show you exactly what this is. Oh, it's to study God's word, but it's to come with the burden that God has given. And so that's around. I may say things that, that may not sit well with you, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> we could talk afterwards. Um, but I want you to know that his love sometimes is very offensive. Jesus' love is sometimes very offensive. For me to love my children well, I sometimes have to offend them. They don't like it. It hurts. But his love may offend us, but it always sets us free. Therefore, it's to invite Jesus. Bring your love this morning. Bring your correction upon our hearts. Teach us. Give us ears to hear. So, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to try to make this quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's right. 1 Corinthians 15. We got 11 verses to get through this morning. And, and look, I'm not here to just give you some sort of like cute package resurrection Sunday message. I don't care about that. I don't care about all the pastel colors that we got on today. There's a, there's a crimson red that we need to get to, right? There's a glorious white resurrection that we need to get to in the text. We need to apprehend it, not by the clothes that we wear, but by our very hearts. So 1 Corinthians 15 It's the Apostle Paul, right? And he's writing to this church in Corinth. They're just probably about three years old at this point as a church. Very young, very immature. (laughs) And there must have been some discussion about the resurrection that wasn't going over so well. And so he writes, chapter 15, verse 1, I would remind you, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, amazing, and by which you are being saved. If, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in what? Vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our what? sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
and that he appeared as the resurrected Lord to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I, Paul, am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, oh, what a powerful statement, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It was not in vain. Perhaps you believed in vain, but for Paul, he says, oh, no, it was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. My question to you this morning, oh, I hope this falls on spiritual ears. Have you believed in vain? That's the negative way to say it. Have you believed in vain? You see, for the Apostle Paul, he was concerned with this church in Corinth. In fact, within the church, you have to recognize that that historically, even as Jesus would teach, there are many who will confess the name of Jesus, but not all will be his. There are wheat and tares that Jesus will speak of. He says they're going to grow up together. Everyone will be confessing Christ, but not everyone will be his. Even for Jesus, as he taught, he recognized, oh yeah, all those who are a part of the church are not a part of the church. Jesus would teach on the parable of the sower, right? Where many would receive the gospel, many would receive the truth of Jesus, confess Jesus, but oh, that seed of the gospel, that seed of truth would fall upon soil, some by which the birds would come, the enemy, he would steal it away. Still others would fall on stony ground or be choked out by the weeds. It's the cares of this world and the trials of this world. They would actually just kind of cut out your faith. They would prove that true faith wasn't there. For Jesus himself, he recognized that not all of those who confess Christ are actually his. And so it gives the right for for Paul to say, or at least to suggest, did you believe in vain? I hear many people say, oh, I've always believed. I've always believed. I've always had this relationship with Jesus. That doesn't fit the Bible. There's a point in time where Jesus, by his spirit, comes upon you to awaken your soul to the sinner that you are and the fact that you need to turn from your sins and trust in the risen Savior. There's a point in time, maybe through process, but nonetheless, a point in time where you turn from your sins and you trust him. You you haven't always believed. So to confess it is something that you have to stand back. Did I believe in vain? I know it's a hard word to take, but even for the Apostle Paul, he's suggesting it to a church that confesses Jesus. 
He's saying, did you believe in vain? And that's why he says in verse 1, I got to remind you. I got to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. This reminder is not just some, hey, 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 make sure you think about this. Make sure you just don't lose this thought. That's not what he's saying. There's this urgency, and he's saying, you may have believed in vain by forgetting the gospel. The gospel might have been just some religious thing that you kind of did, and it didn't change you. It didn't empower you. You're just the same old you. You're just confessing Jesus. Did you believe in vain? Paul is saying, I, I must, I must certainly remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which, this is beautiful, you stand. That's perfect tense. That is, you can't stand any more firm than what you're already standing in the gospel, right? That's what the gospel does for us freely. It takes us from being an enemy to being family with God. And it puts us on this sure foundation in this place where we are justified without guilt before God. It's the gospel in which you stand, by which you are being saved. So there's a perfect tense. You've got a perfect position with God through Jesus, and you are also being saved, which means there's this transformational process that's taking place within you. You're becoming more and more like him in how you live and how you act. So you have this perfect standing, but now this ongoing process by which you're being conformed to the image of Jesus. If, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, do you get it? We take this so lightly. We have this Christian culture within our nation. This Western Christianity, which is so shallow that if I just confess a few things, if I got dunked underwater, that means, well, I'm, I'm his. No, it doesn't. The question is, what are you doing with Jesus now? Don't rely on a prayer. Don't rely on an experience. Don't rely on having been dunked in water. You rely on Jesus. What are you doing with him now? Did you believe in vain because you're not now doing anything with him? Is your salvation actually empty, a counterfeit? What are you doing with Jesus now? That's the question that we must engage with. What are you doing with Jesus now? And look, it's not this heavy kind of, oh, you got to be busy doing a bunch of Christian things. The idea of holding fast to the word of Christ, as Paul says, is actually trusting in Christ's hold on you. I'm secure because I know who my Jesus is. I'm not taking hope in all the things that I do, whether or not transformation's happening in my life. I'm trusting in him who has hold on me. I'm not overwhelmed with religious burden. I stand in the freedom of my Savior who has me and will have me till he brings me safely home. So Paul is concerned, he is concerned with the faith of the Corinthians. He's concerned if, that they might have believed in vain. And so he goes on to talk about the priority of this gospel. Verse 3, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, he says. 
first importance doesn't have the idea of, well, the gospel is supposed to be this thing at the top of my list when I wake up in the morning that I rehearse. Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Okay, got that one, check. Okay, now I can do my day. That's not the idea of first importance. The first importance of the gospel is that it becomes like the sun in the solar system of our life. Everything is defined and made sense by which the gravity of the sun holds it all together. It's the hub of a wheel. The wheel doesn't run. The wheel can't move without the strength of the hub holding all things together. That's the idea of first importance, that who Jesus is, what he did for you, how he overcame death itself, now becomes the central reality that I define all of life by. I understand who I am, as Paul goes on to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't define my life by my failures. I don't define my life by my achievements. I don't define my life by my successes, what position I hold at work or what position I don't hold at work, whether I'm married or I'm not married, whether my marriage has been good or it's fallen apart. My identity is not in the stuff of this world, the experiences of it. My identity is now informed by this gospel. That's first importance. I'm not defined by the wounds I might have suffered, right? I become now defined by the wounds of the one who hung on that tree on my behalf and said, whether it's your achievements or whether it's the abuses that you've suffered, I carry it for you. He carries it for us. You're not defined by that anymore. You're not defined by your past anymore. Jesus has gone to that tree for you, just as Paul goes on to say. Christ died for our sins. That's the gospel. What an amazing reality. Jesus died for you. In your place is the idea. Where you should stand, he stood, and he took it upon himself in full. And not only that he stood in our place, but that he was buried. He was dead, dead. If you have to wonder, with all the skepticism out in the world trying to undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, oh no, he was dead, dead. He was buried. Not kind of just falling asleep, not in a coma, dead, dead. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day. It is this resurrection that vindicates all that Jesus had done, that God the Father says, everything you did, child, is satisfactory. It satisfies the sin of the world, should people humble themselves and bring them under the covering of your blood. It's right, it's good, and up from the grave he rose. You see, as the text says, all of this was in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is of first importance to us. Everything that Jesus is, everything that he did for us, it's of first importance. But it didn't just happen to become of first importance to us. It always was of first importance. It's according to the scriptures. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. All right. Thank you, wife. Thank you. She's, she's the one that should be reading my mind, you know. It's the same for his resurrection. 
It happened in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel isn't a new thing on God's radar where he just kind of changed his mind in the redemptive history of man and said, you know what, I think I'll send my son. This sounds like a good idea. It's always been the plan. So then in the book of Revelation, it says before the foundation of the world, Jesus died. It was always the centerpiece. When Adam and Eve sinned, God says, Genesis chapter 3, 15, he gives the prophecy, oh yeah, one day there's going to be someone who comes from the line of this woman, he's going to crush the head of this serpent. It's always been centered on the gospel, the person of Jesus and what he does for us. The sacrificial systems, what were those all about? That was strange, that was weird, that was barbaric. No, it testified to the gospel the thing of first importance for all humanity, that Jesus would one day come. And John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You'd have Isaiah 53 as the prophet uh, would say. He'd say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced. For our transgressions. Again, the language, he's standing in our place. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. You want to heal the world? You need a crucified Savior. It was always, the gospel was always the centerpiece of all that God intended to do for you. And if it was his centerpiece, it should be your centerpiece. It should be the thing of first importance that all of life, whether it's who I am, what I do, how I do relationships. Oh, how I do relationships. Man. God did not make some mistake saying, oh, yeah, you just I'll take care of this part of life. But when it comes to relationships, you get you just do that thing yourself. What a mess we make in relationships. What a mess, a terrible mess. He wants you to relate to others, whether it's in the church or within marriage or how you do work with your coworkers all of it to be centered. You should view others through the lens of the gospel that when, oh, you were in such need, God had mercy upon you. Who are you to say, I will not have mercy on that person who's getting under my skin? As you have been shown mercy through the gospel, so now his mercy is to train your heart to be a conduit of his mercy to others. Everything of life now becomes under the banner of that great gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and was raised in accordance with the scriptures. Do you even know in the Old Testament, resurrection was a theme that God's people knew was coming. Death would be defeated one day. Psalm 16 verse 10 The psalmist says, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Or Isaiah 25, it's God will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. 
It's always been God's plan, this great gospel. It's been the centerpiece. It's been of first importance from the very beginning. And if that was God's plan for redemptive history, that the gospel would be the centerpiece, oh, it must be our centerpiece. All of life defined by this gospel. Well, Paul goes on. He goes from the priority of the gospel to the proof of the gospel. I'll make this brief. Oh, Jesus appeared. You see it? Verse 5, he appeared to Cephas. He, he appeared to the 12. He appeared to 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul is saying, you want to go actually get the true evidence? You got to want to get the evidence? Go get the witness? Go to them. They're still alive, as Paul is writing this. You want to hear of the resurrected one? Go to them. Go to them. He appeared to James. He appeared to the apostles, last of all. As to one untimely born, that idea of untimely born is as a premature baby. It's like he, he, he's recognizing himself as one of weakness. Untimely born, he appeared also to me. I want to say it again. Every other religion in this world, the leader of those religions, they are in the grave. They are in the grave. They are in the grave. There's only one religion where the leader of that religion dies on behalf of his followers and says, it's free. It's free. Every other religion out there says, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to order your life this way. Do that. Say these prayers. Kneel this way. Face this direction. All these things that have to be done to potentially gain some sort of thing of nirvana or some sort of paradise or whatever it might be. You got to work. You got to work. You got to work. Jesus did it all for you. He said, come on freely. Freely receive. This is what he's done for us. He set us free and oh, how the enemy wants to weave his web and all the other religions and skepticisms of our, of our day to say, oh, you don't need this, Jesus. You can manufacture it this way. He can't be true. He can't be real. He really didn't show up. Paul is saying, I got a whole host of people you could go talk to who has seen him. They've seen him with their eyes. Even in the Old Testament, it took two witnesses to establish a court hearing. Just two. Right? Now today, we live in a world of all kinds of interesting news, and you don't know who to believe. But it's a day in which we, we, we read this, and, oh, uh, I'm not sure. We can never be true. You know, we can never be sure of what might be true. But in this day, oh, to have 500 people, uh, we got a case made. <laughs> you can talk to this person and talk to that person. And Paul doesn't even, he has no sense of like, uh, you know, they, they may say they saw something different. He, he's not concerned that they're going to get the story wrong. He's just not concerned. He, he's not concerned that they're going to say, oh, yeah, I might have seen something. Uh, it, it wasn't confusing. It was straight up, clear, 500 people. There they are. Go see them. Go talk to them. Go hear their testimony that there is one who has died and now has been raised. It's the proof of the resurrection. But then finally, it's the power of the gospel. Check out verse, verse 9 and following. Paul you know, declares he has been born untimely, right? 
Jesus appeared to him on that Damascus road. Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I did what? Pure persecuted the church of God. What's your story? What's your story? Paul is saying, he's actually being quite kind, and he's just saying, hey, if you're getting confused with all that the cross might mean for you, I got a greater debt. (laughs) I stood against the very gospel. I stood against the very Christ. I stood against all that he was doing. I stood against him. I put people to death who believed in this Jesus but my soul has been saved. My debt has been cleared. That cross was enough for me. If you stand questioning, I am so bad this Jesus would never have me. you got to be challenged by the life of Paul. And to say that, oh, my sin is too great for this Savior is to actually make his cross something far less than what it is. He died for your sins in your place. So that Paul then could say, think about the power of this gospel, even one who has persecuted the church, he can say with confidence, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am no longer that persecutor of the church. I'm a saint. I'm a part of his family. By his grace, I am what I am. Is he relying on anything he's done? No. Philippians 3, he says, all the stuff that I've achieved in my life, I count it as refuse. I count it as all the stuff that sits in the toilet. It's literally the language that he's using. I take all my achievements, all my plaques on the wall, all the things that I accomplished at work, all my education, all my degrees, and I put it away. Because that's what it is compared to what I have in Christ. By His grace, I'm not defined by those plaques. I'm not defined by the things of the past. I'm now defined by all that Jesus has done for me. I am what I am. What is defining your life? What's defining your life right now? What's giving you that sense of significance in this life? What's giving you that sense of worth in this life? I dare say that if you're trying to find it in the world... You're always going to be looking from one thing to the next. Always trying, oh, is this going to satisfy? Is this going to make me the man I need to be? Is this going to make me the woman I need to be? Never satisfies. Never satisfies. Never satisfies. Again, you were created for nothing less than an infinite God. And to resort to anything less than infinite will always keep you going. The rat race of life, trying to fill up what only the infinite can fill. Jesus made a way for us to know the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But notice this, and to the final point this morning. His grace toward me was not in what? Vain. I go back to my original question. 
just as Paul would put it before the Corinthians, have you believed in vain? Paul says, I have not believed in vain. Why? How how can you say that, Paul? How can you say that you didn't believe in vain? Well, he goes on. He says, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You notice this? He says, I didn't achieve my salvation. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But I did not waste that grace. I lived my life resting step by step in everything that I did upon the grace of the Lord. I worked hard. Did I put my energy into it? You better believe it. He's putting his own energy into it, but he's trusting that the grace of God is going to meet him in every step, that every step is going to be empowered by the grace of God. I am resting on this grace of God, but I will not believe in vain. I must work. I must work. I must depend. I must depend. I must go after my Jesus more and more and more. And as he says, go, I go. And how do I go? I go in his grace. This is the Christian life. It ain't, it ain't saying, hey, you got to be perfect. But I'm telling you, if you're just trusting in some stupid prayer that you prayed decades ago, and you haven't been walking out this relationship with him, you don't know the warmth of his presence, I have to ask you, with the Apostle Paul, have you believed in vain? You've been doing this religious stuff? I hate religiosity. I hate it. I hate it because I know it. It doesn't depend upon grace. It doesn't celebrate. It doesn't doesn't adore the presence of God. It says the Christian life becomes all these standards. That's not freedom, it's bondage. Religiosity is bondage. Some of you only know Jesus through that lens. That's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus lived for us, died for us. He gave us a perfect standing with him. And now he gives us a grace day by day to rest in, to work from, so that our lives become fruitful for his glory. His kingdom purposes realized from frail people like you and me. That's what he does. So we make, listen, we make our calling and election short. It's life or death. I'm a dying man speaking to dying men. It's life or death. And I'm I'm serious. I'm not just like, oh, that's what a pastor says. I've seen it. Sin leads to death. You want to go the way of the world, you will die. You will die. If it's not... That the way of the world takes you to a place of ultimate confusion and death. It'll be you on your own, in your lonely place, putting a bullet through your head. That's what the enemy will do. That's what the way of this world leads to. It is destruction and it is death. And Jesus stands before you freely saying, I'm the bread of life. I can satisfy that soul. Don't rest in all this crazy religiosity. Come to me and know life and life abundantly. I'm contending for your souls this morning. Contending for your stinking souls this morning. Right? I'm like fighting for them. 
Rest in Jesus. Do not believe in vain. Don't get caught up in the religiosity. Center your life on the person and work of Jesus. Let him be bread for your souls. Let him be a covering for your sins. Let him be strength for your day. Let him be peace against all the chaos that you face. Let him be, let him be for you everything. May you not believe in vain. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, oh Lord, I just ask, I've laid the burden on the table. And I just pray, Lord, that it would have honored you. And I pray even right now, Lord, that you would grant clarity to your word. Clarity, all the missteps that I have spoken, Lord, clear them from the heart and mind, and may your word fall upon our hearts and minds with effect and power. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you here now to lead us in response to your word. Your word is worthy of a response. And so if you're, you are here this morning and you say, I just, oh man, I don't have this bread of life. I've, I've lived that, that life of confusion. I've felt that inner rage. I have gone after everything for satisfaction and has left me empty again and again. This Jesus you speak of <laughs> sounds like a good option. <laughs> sounds like a good savior. What I'm going to ask you to do is if you say, yep, I want Jesus today. I want to turn from all the other things that I've sought after and I want to just place my faith in Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to raise, as all heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you. But if the, if the Lord is moving upon your heart, if he's stirring you, there's something burning in you. It's like, ah. Oh. Just raise your hand and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you. So, Lord, I, 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 I ask that you would bless that faith. Those responses to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless that faith. Bless that faith, I ask, in Jesus' mighty name. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon them, grant them clarity in relationship to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, they need a touch of your presence. Jesus, just, Jesus, we honor you. We adore you as the one who went before us so that we can even pray these things. So we can even encounter something of your presence here and now by way of your Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, rest upon these who've raised their hands to you, to you. I want us all as a congregation to pray with these individuals. We're just going to do it all together. I'm not going to identify the folks who uh, put their hand up. But I want us all to pray together. So just repeat after me as we pray together. Jesus, I come before you. I receive your forgiveness. I ask for your empowerment. I ask for your empowerment. 
Be Lord of my life. I cast my brokenness before you. My wounds and my sin. And ask that you would come heal me. By the power and presence of your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank the Lord. Just give him a thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your mercy to us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you made that prayer, um, I, I'd, I'd ask that you would, you would connect with us after. Just connect with us after. What, I, what I'd encourage you to do, you, you raised your hand in faith. I would ask that, like, afterwards, you just come, come forward to us. Let's talk. Let's talk. Don't let the word of God just kind of uh, land flat. You've responded. Now let's continue to walk in that response, just as Paul says. He says, I, I'm going to keep walking in this grace, stepping out in faith, trusting that God's going to meet me, that he's going to meet me. He's going to meet me. So even as we sing our final song and conclude, I just ask that you would come forward and we'll take a little time just to pray for you. I want to, I want to, uh, just a final encouragement coming to mind. Make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and election sure. That's the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1. Make your calling and election sure. Make your confession of Christ sure. Peter says, add to your faith knowledge and knowledge, godliness and godliness, self-control. He's saying, keep working it out. Keep working it out. Keep adding to it. Keep working, working, working the grace into you, right, as he supplies it to you. Make your calling and election sure. And you will, you will have peace. I have not believed in vain. I have not believed in vain. May it be in Jesus' name.
pray for those who took a step of faith, Lord, that that faith would be a blessing. Lord, I pray that that faith would grow into that enormous oak tree that bears fruit again and again for your glory, Lord Jesus. I pray that you bring that to pass today. Now as we dismiss, you said one last word. physical ailments that you need prayer for, please come forward and receive prayer for that. If there's spiritual burdens that you're carrying and you need prayer to have the Lord release you from those, please come forward. Um, today is a day where, of all days, we want to receive prayer ministry because the Lord has been raised again to life and poured out his spirit to minister to us. Um, so please come receive that prayer ministry if you need it. Everybody else, I just want to read uh, from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of that eternal covenant, may he equip you with